So as we go through Luke and we continue on through the book of Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 today. Um, and we're going to be in verse 28 through 36. And today uh, we're asking the question, who is this? Who is this? All throughout Luke, this question gets asked, who is this Jesus? Now, again, the reason our service is a little bit different today uh, for a couple of things is that one, uh, there is a ministry local uh, that we are commissioning this morning to go out and outreach in our community to share the love of Christ. Now, why are we doing that? Why, are, why is anybody wanting to be willing to do that? Uh, because we've read the book and that's who our Jesus is. And so instead of just cognitively believing it, there's different families and you can be one of them if you haven't known about it. We've tried to make sure we communicate, but if you're hearing about this and you'll hear more about it, but we're believing that if we go out and share the love of Christ, that God will draw all people to himself. That's what we're doing. As part of what's going on, we're also going to, as we commissioned the Nepal mission trip uh, a while back, we're going to hear from them today, from us today, of what took place, because you know what? That happened in November. It's March. We thought it'd be a good time to fill everybody in. Why did we go? You'll hear about that, but I'll give you a hint. It's because of Jesus, okay? So who is this? Well, if we go back and we look, chapter 7, chapter 8, in chapter 9 of Luke, it's interesting because the people are always asking, who is this that does these things? Think about this. In chapter 7 of Luke, verse 18, John the Baptist, now think about this. John the Baptist, he baptized Jesus, right? When Jesus came to him, John looked at him and said, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to baptize me because he recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. But things don't go the way that John's thinking. And all of a sudden, he sends some of his disciples and he asks him, are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Now, we'll, we'll unpack that here in just a little bit. But even John, who had this great moment of recognition, didn't see and say, are are, are you really the one? Who is this? Because you're not, you're not living up to what I, I thought you would do. In the next moment, in verses 48 and 50 of Luke 7, we have this sinful woman that's come. And here is she is dealing with Jesus and, and, and washing and anointing his feet and everything. And the rest of these people are going, there's no way if Jesus knew who this woman was and knew about her past and knew all kinds of things about there's no way he'd be letting her touch her, touch him. But Jesus does know who she is and absolutely begins to take her and, and reminds her that as she's come in this faith of coming to Jesus, he says, your sins are forgiven. And it everybody's like, who, who can forgive sins? By the way, let me ask you a quick question. Who, who can forgive sins? Okay, good. Just making sure. I was like, this is not a day to ask questions, right? Okay, I'm sorry. People can say, people, only God can forgive sins. I can forgive something that you may do against me, but I can't forgive for something you do against somebody else. But God can. God can. But they say, who is this? 
Then the disciples are on the, 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 they're going across the Galilee, the sea. And as they're going across the sea, all of a sudden the wind and the waves and everything goes crazy. And Jesus, I mean, it's time to take a nap, right? And he's sleeping. He's not worried about it. He's good. And they're all freaking out. And they're like going, don't you care about us? We're going to die. And Jesus wakes up and he stands up and he goes, be still. And it's still. And the disciples who have walked with Jesus, all of a sudden they're like, who is this that can command the waves and the wind? And then even in John chapter 9, where Herod has beheaded John. At this point in the story, John has been beheaded. He's dead. But he keeps hearing. He knew how powerful John was. But then he starts to continue to hear about Jesus. And so even Herod is going... Who is this? Is it, is it Elijah? Is it what's going on? Am I being haunted because I've done these things? Who is this? Finally, by the time that we get to chapter 9, verse 18, Jesus asks them, and he says, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And so he hears the different answers, but then Jesus turns it more to them, and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? See, church, the question right now that God is dealing with this is not, not what does the world say Jesus is. The question is, who do you say Jesus is? What do you believe about him? Because in all honesty, that's the only question that matters. That's the only question that matters. Why? Because nobody else can live your life. And it doesn't matter what society says, but it does matter what you say. Now, as we have that whole background, I want us now to go to Luke chapter 9, verse 28. And let's begin to read here. It says, now in about eight days after these sayings, he took with him, meaning Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were, par were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying, what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days of anything of what they had seen. When we get to this first part in 28, it's, it's starting with verse 28, it says, Now at about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. There is 
No one in this moment, as, the, as Luke begins to show us, that is like Jesus. No one that is like Jesus. Now, we know that there have been prophets and, 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 and those that, are there that have done things in the Old Testament. We know about that. But think about this. When Moses was commissioned by God to go and lead the people out, what was Moses' answer? Not just no, five times it's not me. I, no, I, I, don't, I don't speak well. I don't do this. I don't do that. Oh, no. Please don't make me. This was Moses' response. Finally, he relents and he goes. What's been Jesus' response from the very beginning? I can, I can only do the will of my father. I can only do the will of my father. That's it. But think about this. When Moses was, was with God, when Moses was with God on the mountain, given the Ten Commandments, and when he was in his presence, when Moses came down, what was going on with Moses' face? Glowing. It was glowing. It was all shiny, right? Because he'd been in the presence of God. Did you catch this here? Verse 29, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Jesus, he doesn't hang out with the Father to get this radiance that's on him because it tells us with Moses that his, his, his radiance is gonna fade away after a while, right? Let me say, Jesus didn't hang out with the Father in order to get radiant. What? He is radiance. He is right. He is clothing. Moses put a veil over his face so that it wouldn't freak everybody out. But Jesus, even his clothing, even his clothing was dazzling. Everything about him was unparalleled glory. Everything about him, everything about him, his glory is unparalleled. Now, this first point, faith accepts God's revelation of himself. Faith accepts God's revelation of himself. When God begins to reveal who he is, we don't have to fully understand it. We don't fully get it. Hey, ask your questions, though. God's not scared of your questions. If you don't understand, understand something, ask God your question. He can handle it. He's not worried about your questions. But when you get to a point, faith accepts it and says, God, if this is who you are, if this is who you are, then I trust in who you are. Faith accepts God's revelation of himself. If you think about this, why was John the Baptist so out of sorts. I mean, as a baby in the womb, Martha and Mary got together. You remember what, what, happened, to, what happened to John in the womb? Say so he leapt, knowing about the Jesus. Even as a baby, the Holy Spirit's on him. He knows what's going on. It's not me that's supposed to baptize you, Jesus. You're supposed to baptize me. But then why does John all of a sudden question? Anybody know? I mean, the Bible doesn't say. 
I'll ask you, why do you question God at times? Right? Why do you question? Anybody want to give an answer, honest answer? Why do you question God at times? Things don't go like I want. Not, not confident enough in, in listening and what's going on. Here's the thing. I have preconceived notions of who God's supposed to be. Let me share with you. He looks at me and goes, it's a good try. It's not who I am. We have doubts because we have expectations of how we say God is supposed to respond, never even asking if those are unrealistic expectations. They're just our expectations. Right? But faith, faith, who is this that heals? Who is this that can stop the waves? Who is this? And then all of a sudden he's dazzling white? As the reader of Luke, I should be going... I've read that before in the Old Testament. I've read that. That's God. That's not a mere man or a mere prophet. That's God. We begin to take it at faith. Faith accepts God's revelation of himself. When God begins to reveal himself in the, in the word, when God begins to show up in your life, as you look at your life, are you basing God based on your expectations or based upon God's whole word? Well, Sean, I read, this, I read this verse right here and I did it and God didn't show up. Let me share with you. There's more than one verse in there. The reason why God may not have shown up, maybe that you need to have better faith. It could be the fact that you've taken one verse and you've made that your entire Bible instead of reading all of how God wants to say, you've had a false expectation of me. Come and get to know me because I want to show you who I really am. Faith takes and accepts God's revelation of himself. Now, listen to this and think about this. Verse 30, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. That word can also mean exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. His departure was going to be the cross, his death. And Moses and Elijah, wait a minute, who's Moses and Elijah? Loaded question, right? Here, we'll just make it easy. Aren't they supposed to be dead? Yes and no. Physically, their time has passed. But in God, they ain't dead. Their time has passed. Why are they showing up? To be honest, I don't know. But Moses represents the law. This is one view. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. They have been pointing to God's Messiah this entire time. And they both happen to show up and be talking with Jesus about his death. As the reader of Luke, I'm looking at this going, who is this? He's given us all kinds of recognition of who he is. Now let's go on. It says this, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. You know, it's like they seem to sleep a lot. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed? It's like every time you're with them, they're in the garden, they're sleeping, they're doing this. I'm sure glad that we don't have that problem. There's a reason why I think it shows that they're sleeping. One, because we struggle with paying attention if it doesn't capture our attention. But also, I think if you take it another way, we're asleep spiritually. We're not 
aware of who God really is. But I think about this at times. How many of you have fallen asleep praying? How many of y'all have fallen asleep reading your Bible? How many of y'all have fallen asleep as I've been preaching? Well, I guess I haven't done that one, but... It's, it's amazing. It's amazing how we have the hardest time concentrating on the things that are most important. I'm going to tell you right now, I'll guarantee you that I'm not always right when I preach. This always is. And there's sometimes I guarantee you that you're like going, man, I disagree with what Sean says. But I'm going to share with you right now. My goal is not for you to think, oh, what an amazing preacher he is. Because you follow me, you're going to hell. But if you follow who I say, I'm pointing you to Jesus. You wrestle with him. You'd be amazed how you'll interact with the God of life. The whole point is pointing to Jesus. This is what Elijah and Moses, this is what the law, everything was pointing towards Christ. And now we have Peter. They were asleep. They've woken up. They saw the glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, it seems crazy that Peter would say this, but think about it as a good Jew. They have talked about Moses forever. The law has been given through Moses. They have heard about Elijah. These are like the superstars of the faith. And so as they see them in this moment, they wake up. They're not fully aware of what's going on. Moses, Elijah, it's like they're having a dream, but how do they know it's Moses? And how do they know it's Elijah? I don't know, but they know. And so Peter goes, let us, let us make three tents. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. Let's, let's do this. But notice in the passage here, it says that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about what? His death, his exodus, his death. It's going to happen in Jerusalem. Church, his death is central. The one thing that's different about Jesus than anything else is that Jesus' death and his resurrection is of the utmost importance to our faith. If you go and say, well, I just want to be, I want to be loving like Jesus. We're not called to emulate him under our own power. We're called to emulate him as we surrender our lives to Jesus, death and death, burial and resurrection and rise in faith as he comes to live within us. If you want to just take Jesus' charity and everything and just, you know, oh, I just, I just want to be loving like Jesus. You, you, that's not who he is and that's not what he said. Christians are like Christ because Christ comes and lives within us. We are dying to self. Sean's personality is still here, but I am learning to look and become more like Christ as I surrender to him in loving relationship and obedience. When they see Sean, they see personality, but they should see Jesus. His death is central, but it also tells us this. Faith doesn't tell God who he is or how he works. Faith doesn't tell God who he is 
or how he works. Notice here Peter, kind of sleep, not understanding, but he says, let's, let's put out three tents. One for Moses, because as a good Jewish boy, I've been taught Moses is important, Elijah's important. Let's just tack Jesus on there. Jesus will be important too. Notice later on that Peter, when Jesus says that he has to die, Peter looks at him and he says, you can't die. What's he telling Jesus? You have to be a certain way the way I want you to be. Anybody guilty of telling Jesus who he's supposed to be in your life? Jesus, you're supposed to be my what? What? Speak it out. Okay? Savior, I agree with. That's the truth. Healer. Watch this. And a healer in which way? My way, right? Sometimes it's my way. Counselor, yes, unless he gives me bad counsel that I don't like. What? Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by that? Jesus, what am I supposed to do about this? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Let's find a different passage. Over here in Psalms, it talks about crushing my enemies. Let's go with Psalms. I like that better. It tells in here, let's see, let's see, what am I supposed to read? Let's see. God, I want you to, I want you to give me a, I want you to give me a blessing. I want you to give me a blessing. Okay. I gave you this. That's not the blessing that I wanted. Give me a different blessing. See, we try to tell God who he is and how he's going to be, and that's not faith. It's really a tantrum of a three-year-old. Think about this. Anybody had children? I want a cookie. I'm sorry. We're about ready to have dinner. I'm not giving you a cookie. But I don't want a cookie. I gave you a cookie at snack time. I did give that to you because I love you. It's dinner time. I'm not giving you a cookie. You're supposed to be the cookie giver. And that's all you're going to be is the cookie giver. And I can't believe it. Mashed potatoes, bleh. Green beans, ugh. You're the cookie giver. Now, I'm making a dumb illustration, but don't we do the same thing with God? <laughs> don't we do the same thing with God? You, I want, you did it one time in my life, or you did it for somebody else, so you're going to be exactly who I tell you to be. No, I, he is exactly who he is and tells us to follow him. Everything that he does is because he loves us, he is for us, and he cares. Every decision that he makes in your life, whether you get your prayer answered the way that you think or you don't, God personally loves you, personally cares, and he's at work in your life to bring about his glory and a great blessing for you as you've already got the victory. You just got to live in it. We don't get to tell God. Faith doesn't tell God who he is or how he works. I don't like it when somebody defines me. I remember at the first, when I had stepped into my first pastorate, somebody looked at me. I know you'll find this hard to believe, but somebody looked at me and was like going, there's no way he can be a pastor. He is ridiculously goofy. 
I mean, how can you have a pastor that acts like that and is, and oh my goodness, what are people going to think? Oh my goodness. He just, he acts so childish at times and he acts this way and he acts that. And somebody said, and the interesting thing in that moment as this person, they confessed this later, as that was happening, I was having this conversation. I wasn't in the pulpit, just out talking with somebody. You th- if you think I'm goofy now, you ain't seen nothing yet, okay? I'm not bragging. I'm saying that. I'm just saying who I am is who I am. But there's two things that I've realized. I'm not, I'm not defined by who people say that I am. I'm defined by who God's made me to be in Christ. So there's moments when I've been goofy, but that person that was about ready to sit there and say, well, we can't have him, had a, had a person come up in the community all of a sudden that was broken, that was hurting. And in that moment, it switched to how do we minister to this person. That person looked at me later and they said, I watched God do something I couldn't. You were totally different in that moment. And I watched God work through you. And I was wrong for making an assumption. Church, we're not defined by just one thing, are we? I don't like it when somebody's done that to me. God really doesn't like it when we do that to Him, who's more magnificent and we can't even explain all of how amazing He is. We don't tell God who He is. He tells us and we receive it by faith. This last part, let's read. And as... He was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Jesus' words are full of power. His word is full of power. Faith lives as if Jesus is enough. Peter came up with this grand idea of having three tabernacles. But then all of a sudden, as they had entered the cloud, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah were gone, and it was just Jesus and God the Father spoke something very powerful. This is my son. Listen to him. The law was given and the law is good. The prophets were given. They were good. But Jesus supersedes all of it. Jesus supersedes all of it. If I want to know how to relate, it's through understanding my love with Jesus Christ. Of how to live and what to do. Faith lives as if Jesus is enough. What do I mean by that? I want to ask you a question right now. The most important thing in your life, if it was taken away, would you all of a sudden say, I have no reason to live anymore? Because if that's true, I'm going to say this very lovingly, that's idolatry. If Jesus is not enough to sustain you, you put things on the throne of your life that are more important than him. My identity, I love my wife, I love my children. I don't know what I would do if something were to happen and they were removed from me. I don't know what, but I know this. My purpose is not to just live for them. It's to live for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They cannot be my only identity. It can't be this job, this calling, 
It can't be my retirement. It can't be my job. It can't be my friends, my family. It cannot, if it's not, if, if Jesus is not enough, you're never gonna figure out anything else in this life. Peter was trying to wake up. They were trying to do this. They wanted to put three tents up there and all of a sudden, poof, two of those people are gone. Only one remains and the voice from heaven, this is my son, listen to him. Do you know what that means? If I say that I really believe that Jesus is healer and I really believe that Jesus can calm the the storms and if I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and I receive him as Lord and Savior, I can't be the same way anymore. I can't. There is nothing in my life that can be the same. There is nothing in there that is mine. There's nothing that's more powerful than God. There's nothing. Why? Because he is power. Personal relationship. A God who raises the dead. So my question for you is this this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? And I'm not asking you, do you have factual assent that you could give me all the Sunday school answers? I'm asking you, who is Jesus in your life? If you want to stick to facts, that's fine. Satan's believe, Satan, the demons believe that Jesus is God, Son of God. And they tremble, but they don't worship And they don't follow. They got factual understanding, not faith. My question is, do you have factual understanding or do you have faith? And if you have faith, is that faith throughout every area of your very life that surrendered to Jesus and says, whatever you want to do, I trust, I follow, because you are the Jesus that I believe rose from the dead. You are God in flesh. You are the God that has forgiven all my sins. You are the God that has saved me. You are the God that has loved me. You are the God that's working in my life. You are the God that's taking these nasty circumstances and working them out for your glory and my good. And thus, I will stay in faith and walk that way. Not because of how it looks, but because of who You are, you are the God, my Savior, Jesus Christ, who's forgiven me and loves me. Who is Jesus in your life?